The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? In today's sermon, we look at a situation where the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, toiling and rowing, right in the middle of God's will, and yet they were overwhelmed by the storm that arose on that sea. But when we meet the overwhelming storms of life, just remember that we have an overwhelming Savior. In this account, the disciples learned that lesson in a very vivid and remarkable way. Due to the length of this sermon, we will not have a song today, but join us as we examine the topic of being overwhelmed from Mark chapter 6. I don't know about you, but I feel often overwhelmed. The word overwhelmed means to overturn or to upset. It can mean to turn upside down. It can mean to bury or to drown something beneath something else, particularly water. It, it means to submerge or to ruin or destroy. It can mean to crush, okay? I felt crushed before. Have you felt crushed? You ever felt overwhelmed by the storms of life that seem to constantly afflict us? Well, if you'll turn in your, in your Bible to the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, We're going to read about a time when the apostles felt overwhelmed, when they felt as if they were about to be submerged completely and destroyed. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, we read the following. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. 
And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. He went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. What we see here is a time when the disciples faced an overwhelming storm, and they felt overwhelmed. And I want to point out, I know I've tried to preach on this before, but it seems to be something we need, I need to be reminded about. I, I, and I trust you're like me. You need to be reminded from time to time of the things that we see in the Scripture, the truths of God's Word that we ought to be able to cling to. You know, one of the things he tells them more than once in the situation where they find themselves overwhelmed by a storm, he said, why were you so afraid? You have little faith. Well, you know, the storms of life are serious. The storms of life, some of these things we've asked for in prayer requests are real problems. They are serious situations. Don't think that the problems of life are just, well, you know, we, we just make too big a deal out of them. They are a big deal. My problems that I've faced are a big deal. I know some of them I blow out of proportion. I get that. But the ones I'm talking about, the ones that threaten to overwhelm me and to overthrow my faith are a big deal. And this was a big deal. This was an overwhelming storm. And, and you say, well, if they'd just been in the will of God... If they'd just been where they were supposed to be, they wouldn't have faced the storm. Well, I don't know if you heard when I was reading just now, or if you've read it yourself, but I read that they were right in the middle of the will of God. He constrained his disciples to, go, to get into the ship and go to the other side. They were doing exactly what he said to do. He didn't just suggest it. He didn't just say, y'all think about it and decide what you want. He constrained them. That means he compelled them. He didn't say it's a good idea. He said, y'all get in the ship and go. They were right in the middle of the will of God. They were right where they were supposed to be. And yet the storm came. What do we make of this? How do we explain this? I don't want to preach on this too far this morning, but I want to remind you that not all the storms are sent by God. They're all suffered by God, but God is not the origin of all the storms of life. In fact, the troubles of life, the sin of life, you can lay all of it, uh, the blame for all of it, at the feet of Adam. The devil tempted Adam, and Adam sin tempted Eve, and then Eve tempted Adam, and Adam sinned, and because Adam sinned, we were plunged into sin, and the world is cursed by sin. I, I understand there are some whirlwinds that God is in. He was in the one that Job uh, dealt with. He's been in other whirlwinds. But generally speaking, God is not causing the tornadoes. He's not cause, causing the, the, the hurricanes. He's not causing all these tragedies of life. You know why they happen? They happen because of sin. I don't mean some sin. You've, you know, Job's, Job's problems weren't because of some particular sin he had committed. Yeah, he was a sinner and he needed some uh, correction, but Job wasn't the cause, you know, some particular sin, but what it was is he is a sinner living in a sin-cursed world. That's why, that's why my leg's hurting today. 
It's not because I did anything for sure, because I sure hadn't been exercising. <laughs> but it's, it's because I'm a sinner living in a sin-cursed world and in a sin-cursed body. Okay? What we see here is that these disciples were right where they were supposed to be. Now, I want to point out something, and I think I may have done this before when I've come to this chapter. But if you go back a couple of chapters, you read about another situation where they were on the sea and they were subjected to a storm. But in that case, Jesus initially said, that's in Mark chapter 4, about verse, I think it's verse 35. He had said, let us pass over to the other side. So he'd already told them, I don't know exactly what he said here, but we know exactly what he said there. He said, we're going to go to the other side. And then he went to sleep in the, in the boat. <laughs> he laid down and took a nap. And, and I don't know how, in the, the only way he could sleep in that boat is because he's God. Because I can't sleep when there's any movement. You know, if, 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 if Sherry gets out of the bed, you know, gets, I'm awake. You know, I feel the, the just the, the, I could hear the phone buzzing next to me. And, and, and I'm awake, I'm a light sleeper. There's no way I could sleep. But Jesus could sleep because he's the Savior, he's the Lord, Okay. He was asleep in the middle of that storm, okay? But he had said to them then, he said, let us pass over to the other side. He didn't say, let us go out in the middle of the lake and drown. You know, that's something we need to remember. What did Jesus say? Because we can rely on what Jesus says. We can rely on his promises. He said, let us pass over to the other side. So when they woke him up, they asked him, you don't, don't you care that we drown? You know, we're dying. Don't you care? That's where we go, isn't it? That's where we always go is you don't care about us, Lord. When we have troubles, oh, you must not care. We don't go to, Lord, I know you're there, and I trust you to get me through it. We always go to, you just don't care for me, about me, right? But anyway, he said then they had little faith because he had told them we're going over to the other side. Now, he didn't really say this year, so maybe there, maybe there is... Maybe they did need some more faith, maybe, but, but their faith, we hope, is growing. You know, we hope our faith is growing. One of the, you know, one of the ways faith grows in our lives is through the tribulations that we experience. As we go through the tribulations, tribulation worketh patience, we're told in Romans 5, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. And what that simply means is, is that as we experience the tribulations of life, and, we, and, and if we deal with them, in, especially in the patience that God has given to us, and we wait patiently upon Him, that doesn't mean doing nothing, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean sitting down and you know, just waiting, that means keeping on, keeping on. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due time you shall reap if you faint not, okay? Keep on, keeping on, keep on doing right. If you endure the tribulations with patience, then one day you will be able to look back with that experience. You see, tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And with that experience, you can look back and say, you know, this is a terrible storm of life that I'm dealing with right now. But I went through a storm like this before. It, maybe it wasn't quite so bad or maybe it was even worse. But I'm looking back on that storm, on that experience of tribulation. And now with that experience, I have hope that he's going to get me through this one. You see, that's, that's one of the things that happens in our tribulations in life is that God is always with us, and if we seek Him and see Him there, then we'll have the experience of, you know what? I was able to get through it. God got me through it, and I believe He'll get me through this one. But here's the, here's the key point for right now. 
These disciples weren't some wicked sinners, disobedient, in a place they shouldn't have been. They were right in the middle of the will of God. And God had given them a command. Christ had said, I'm constraining you to go to the other side. And they were out there rowing in that little ship, rowing in that little boat, and they were trying to complete the commandment of God. They were try- but they were failing at it. They were not achieving the goal that Jesus had set for them. They weren't even close. I mean, the Sea of Galilee, we, I don't want to get into the weeds here on this, but basically at the widest point, the Sea of Galilee is seven and a half miles wide. At the narrowest point, it's about four miles wide. It's only about 12 and a half miles long, and at the point where it looks like they were, it was probably less than five miles across. And we're told that they're in the fourth watch of the night. That's from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., okay? Now, you know, if you go back, it, look to the context here, you go back to verse 35 when it's talking about the, the feeding of the, of the multitude there. We're told that the day was far spent. That means it was late on into the afternoon, okay? So not exactly sure when it was. But it's a very good possibility that at the point we are here in the, in the account, they'd probably been out there on the sea anywhere from six to nine hours rowing, rowing. And there's 12 of them, okay? They're rowing. And, those, and, and most of them, several of them at least, were fishermen. So five miles is not a very long way to go on the water for someone who's used to the water, which most of them were. But yet, they were toiling in rowing, we're told. They were, they were out there working as hard as they could. Uh, we're told, if you go to the John's uh, account of this in the sixth chapter of John, uh, we're told that they had, rowed about two, they had rowed about 25 to 30 furlongs, which is only about two to three miles. They had rowed all night for almost no gain. They were only halfway there and they were still toiling and rowing. Because you see, notice what's happened. The circumstances that they were facing, even while they were in the midst of the will of God, were against them. We're told that he saw them toiling and rowing, verse 48, for the wind was contrary unto them. Beloved, I want to say to you this morning on the authority not only of the Word of God, but of my own experience of 56 years in this life, the winds of this world will almost always be contrary to you. This world is not your friend. And you'll never make it your friend if you're a child of God. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Boy, that gets truer and truer and truer the older I get. If it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not that I've got problems at work, then I've got problems with health. If it's not problems with health, I've got problems with taking care of some problem on the farm or something like that. It's just something constantly. It's something that will constantly be against you. The circumstances were against them. If you're waiting to find joy and peace in this life, Till all the circumstances are smoothed out, then you're going to be waiting a long time. 
even when you're in the midst of the will of God. And that's one reason I, I repudiate and reject the prosperity gospel that's preached in this world. That is a doctrine from, I, I'm sorry, it's a doctrine from the pit of hell. And I know that's harsh language, but I don't want you in any way co-opted by that. Just have enough faith and everything will work out. Just give enough money to the church and everything will be, you, you'll be rich. Just do more, be better, and everything will get better. Listen, you ought to give to the church. You ought to do better in your life. You ought to serve the Lord. You ought to join the church if you've never been baptized or whatever your situation is. You ought to be a member of the church. But beloved, don't think when you join the church all your problems are over. In some ways, they're just starting. Because <laughs> the world hates you. The world hates this. The world hates for you to be part of one of the local churches. The world hates everything we stand for as children of God. The winds of this world are contrary to us and will always be contrary to us. You know, I told Sherry one time, and it's been years ago, it's, I think it was back before her, maybe it was after her mother passed away, but uh, it's, you know, I, I said, it just seems like life is a series of a few little good times interspersed with a whole lot of bad times. <laughs> and, and that's true, is it not? I mean, you know, that we've had some mountaintop experiences. I remember when we were still having children and, um, you know, Sherry's mother was sick, had a couple of bouts of cancer. Her father passed away before we married. And um, we'd had three children at Druid City Hospital, Ashley being the, the third. And she was about four months old when Miss Sue died. And she died, Sherry's mother died at DCH. So year or two later as we were thinking about having another child and you know one of the things I told Sherry was you know I just I'd like to have another child just so that our last experience that we'd had at DCH wasn't a bad one you know and and, and I was thinking and, and that's and we did Mason came along we had a had a great experience you know I look back at that but guess what it wasn't long after that before Sherry's granny died you know, so we've got another bad experience over there. You're not going to fix the bad experiences with good ones here. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> I'll just tell you. You're not going to fix it because the winds of this world will always be contrary to you. And notice their strength was failing them. They were toiling and rowing. The word there literally means tormented or tortured. They were so tired that it was a torture or a torment to them to just keep on rowing just to keep on rowing you can turn and read in John chapter 6 sometimes about this account as well for lack of time we won't turn there but in John chapter 6 and verse 17 it says this it says and it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them and, and, and when I read that I always identify with it because I'm sorry to confess to you, I can be faithless from time to time. And there's almost, all, especially earlier, I hope, I hope now, I hope, I've, I hope I've grown in my faith. I hope at 56 I'm a lot more uh, able to deal with things than I was at 26 or 36. But I confess to you, there have been times in my life when bad things are going on and struggles are occurring, and I'm looking around saying, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? 
Jesus had not come. To, it was dark, and Jesus hadn't come to them. Lord, where are you? What, what, what's going on? Have you abandoned me? And that's, I think the point of that verse is to remind us that they, these apostles were human, and they were frustrated. They were, they were frustrated probably with God, with Jesus himself. Where is he? What's, what, you know, what, why are we out here doing his will, and we're experiencing this overwhelming storm, and we don't see Jesus here? Where is he? Why did he send us here? Have you ever asked God why? I'll be honest with you, I'm not as good as Job. We're told in Job 1 and 22, he never charged God foolishly. I've charged God foolishly. Martha charged God foolishly. Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother hadn't have died. Now Mary says the same thing, but I believe in a different spirit. But that's another, that's another sermon. But see, fear had overtaken them. They were torturing and rowing. They were toiling. They were, they were so up. You know, they were stressed. Isn't that the word of the day? They were stressed. They were burdened down, overwhelmed by the stress of the winds of this world. So much so that when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they didn't recognize him for the fear that they were experiencing. The emotions overwhelmed them. Did you know that... I mean, I'm thankful for the emotion of religion, okay? I'm thankful that I can feel good. I can feel joy. I can feel peace. I can feel His presence. But I'm also thankful that our religion is not based on emotion. Because if it were based on emotion, then, man, I'd be all over the place. It's not about feelings. Yes, feelings are good. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't as Brother Ricky Harcroft says, I wouldn't give you a dime for a religion you can't feel. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Even when I don't feel it, Jesus is there, you see. They were cried out. They cried out. They were troubled. They were in fear. And remember, fear is not a fruit of the Spirit. That's not listed over there in Galatians 5.22. As a matter of fact, what God gives us is a spirit of... He says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Notice, as we see here, too, that it says in verse 47, when even was come, the, dark had, the darkness had arrived, the ship where they were in the middle of God's will was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And you see, what they began to think was, we're alone. They were there, and he was not, at least in their eyes. He wasn't there. They were, but he wasn't. But notice that verse 48 says, He saw them toiling and rowing. And when I read that, I almost get chills every time I read it because it reminds me of the miraculous vision of God. If I had been standing on the shore of Galilee, trying to look out two or three miles into the midst of that sea with a storm raging, I couldn't have seen anything but the storm. But our God can see through the storm. He was, on, he was alone on the land, and yet he saw them toiling and rowing. Beloved, he is not a God who cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but he is one that was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows exactly what you're going through. I can sometimes empathize with you, but Jesus goes one step better. He can identify with you. 
He has experienced everything you've experienced. You say, well, I've experienced some terrible things, preacher. I've experienced abandonment. All of his disciples abandoned him and fled. Even his, his, his strongest supporters, so to speak, Peter there, uh, denied him three times and cursed while doing it. He was alone on the cross. And not only that, the, that his very God himself, God the Father, turned forsook him. I don't know exactly how that happened. I don't. But I know that he cried out, my God, my God. God, why hast thou forsaken me in that moment, in some fashion, in some way? God forsook his son because he had become sin for us. And that will never happen to you, child of God. I don't care the depths of, 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 of loneliness that you descend into in your life. You may be marooned for the rest of your life on a deserted island somewhere in the South Pacific. But when you die... I don't know if the Lord will stand up like he did with Stephen. But as Stephen was being stoned by his countrymen, one of whom, was, one of whom was, would become the Apostle Paul, was holding their coats as they stoned Stephen, he gazed up into heaven, and there was Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know, we're told he's sitting there. I don't know why he was standing at that point, but I suspect if I saw somebody throwing stones at one of my children, I wouldn't stay sitting down. I'd be standing up. <laughs> And that's the Lord Jesus Christ who identifies with everything you're dealing with. Everything. He knows how frustrated, how frightened, how depressed, how downtrodden, how abandoned, how stressed out you are. He knows. And he can identify. In the midst of the overwhelming storms of life, he can identify. And, and here's the good news. In the midst of the overwhelming storms of life, we have an overwhelming Savior. When we are overwhelmed by the storms of life, we can look to the overwhelming Savior. They were overwhelmed by the storm, but Jesus was not. <laughs> Jesus isn't overwhelmed by the storms of life. He overwhelms the storms of life. <laughs> That's the God we serve. That's the Lord God of glory. <laughs> That's the God who loves you with an everlasting love. That's the God who drew you with cords of loving kindness. That's the God who loved you when you were unlovable. That's the God who loved you before the foundation of the world and will never cease to do so. That's the God who loved you so much he died for you on the cross. And you see, instead of being overwhelmed, he was already praying for them. Remember what he was doing? He was on the, what do you think he was praying about? You know, I tend to pray selfish prayers sometimes. Lord, give me enough money to, you know, go buy this car or whatever. I don't think Jesus ever prayed a selfish prayer. He spent time in prayer with his father. He retreated to the mountain alone. And we're told by the book of Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse 25 that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. You remember what he told Peter when Peter declared, Oh, Lord, I'll never forsake you. Luke, turn to Luke chapter 22 sometime and read about that. I'll never leave you. I'm, these others may, but not me. No, not me, Lord. I'm stronger than they are. I love you more than they do. And it just was a few hours later, he's running like a scared rabbit, following him far off, warming his hands by the coals of the fires of this world and trying to find comfort there and cursing and swearing. But you know what Jesus told him when he bragging about what he was going to do he said Simon Simon Satan hath desired thee to sift thee as wheat and you know that's what he desires for all of God's children he'd like to sift us and sometimes he does 
But you know what Jesus said? He said, but I have prayed for thee. Before the storm even came, Jesus was already praying for his children. Did you, you know, we don't know what the storms of life are that are coming up that are about to hit us. We don't know what's around the next curve, but Jesus does. And he's already making intercession. You know, I'll pray for you if I can remember. <laughs> I'll pray for you if I don't forget. I'll pray for you if I don't go to sleep. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, listen, I'm not, making, I'm not saying it's okay. As you, shouldn't, you should pray diligently. But I know me, and I know how I've done in the past. I come up here with prayer requests on my mind, and they leave. If I don't write them down, they leave before I ascend the pulpit here. But in the midst of this overwhelming storm, the overwhelming Savior is praying for his disciples. And instead of being overwhelmed, he was on his way to them. The storm was no hindrance to Jesus at all. He was on his way even while they were struggling. He was there bringing grace to help in time of need. And notice, he didn't just appear, okay? We're told he walked to them. <clears throat> and this means that he was already on the way before they saw him. They didn't, you know, they didn't, he was already walking on that water before he came into the vision of his disciples. He was on his way before they knew it. Beloved, he is on his way when we don't see him sometimes. Before we even know it, he's already on the way. And notice the storm had separated them from him, but they had, the storm had not separated him from them. He marched right through it to get to their little boat. And I don't know if there were others on the sea in the storm at that time, but I want you to notice he was focused on them. Now, he's such a great God that he can focus on all of us wherever we are. But notice the point. He is focused upon us. He knew exactly what their problem was. There may have been others on the sea. He was zeroed in on them. And if he, and this is, isn't this beautiful? Even in the face of an overwhelming storm, our overwhelming Savior will walk through it to get to us. Even if he has to walk through it to get to us, he will come. And it's the very thing they're afraid of that he's walking on. You know, the thing that they were afraid of is what? They're afraid of drowning, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole point. You know, what's a little rocking boat and, you know, a bunch of water? It's no big deal if you're not going to drown. They were afraid of being overturned, capsized, and drowning in that sea. But it was the very thing they were afraid of that Jesus used to walk right on top of that water to them. And he used it. To manifest himself to them in a way that they would never forget. They would never forget. You know, has that been your experience? Because it's been mine. The times that I remember most about the presence of Jesus have been the times when he has appeared to me in the midst of storms in my life. That's the times I remember him the most. You know, the storm visions of Jesus, those are often the most pronounced and memorable manifestations of his presence I sometimes forget him when things are going good but when I'm in the midst of the storm and he appears my goodness I never forget that instead of being overwhelmed Jesus brought an overwhelming peace to his disciples notice what he said to them he said 
when he showed up, he said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now I could spend the rest of the morning talking about this, but the phrase there in Greek is the phrase ego imi. The word ego means I. That's where we get our word ego from. I. And the word imi is the being verb. So the way the writers put it is not incorrect. I'm not criticizing that because it's it is I. Okay. But it would also be correct to say that he came to them and said, I am. Ego imi. I am. And you know, that's something we need to remember when we're in the midst of the overwhelming storms of life. That we don't serve a God who, you know, the, the Greeks had to have a God of the sea, a God of the air, a God of war, a God of the storms, a God of the, the netherworld and all that. We have one God who is the all-sufficient great I am. Not I was, you know, he always has been, certainly. And not I will be, he certainly will be in the future, but what matters right now to us is that he is now, I am. He's not the great I was or I will be, he's the great I am. The first time this appears, this phrase appears about God is in Genesis chapter 15 and verse one where he says to Abraham, fear not Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He tells him in chapter 17 and verse 1, when he was 99 years old, he appeared to him and said, I am the almighty God. And he goes on to tell him about, he's already promised him that he would be the father of many nations and yet he had no children. God waited until he was unable to have any children. Certainly Sarah had already become unable to have children until he miraculously opened her womb and restored to them the time of life and brought a miracle out of the midst of something that appeared to be hopeless. That's the way our God works because he's the great I am. As Jacob dreamed about the ladder, he told him in the dream, Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. Perhaps the most famous statement is when Moses asked him there at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, he said, Who do I tell them that sent me? He said, You tell them I am that I am, that I am hath sent me unto you. Beloved, I'm saying to you this morning, I'm preaching to you about the great I am. And you know what that's, that means? <laughs> that means he is whatever you need, you see. Are you in need of comfort? I am the God of all comfort. Are you in need of healing? I am the great physician. Whatever your circumstance is, he is what you need. You don't need more money. You don't need a better job. You need more God. Do you need healing? Yeah, I want healing. I don't want to hurt. But we serve the great I am who says I am the resurrection and the life. So that if you die, you know, we were talking earlier about different prayer requests and some situations that don't look good from the standpoint of the doctors. And, you know, think about Lazarus. Lazarus died. He was sick and he died. But Jesus didn't go over there and lose his mind and say, oh no, what are we going to do? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Beloved, if we die, that's the best day of our lives as children of God. I'm not ready. <laughs> I hope the Lord lets me stay here 
a lot longer. But when the time comes, that day will be the best day of my life. Because he is the resurrection and the life. He's the God of all hope. Notice the phrases on both sides of this statement he makes to him. Be of good cheer on both sides of the I am. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. I am. Be not afraid. Now remember where we are. The storm is not calm. The storm is still raging. In fact, Peter, we, we read about in Matthew, Peter gets out in the midst of the storm and walks on the water till he begins to look at the storm, which is a great lesson to us that we don't have time to go into today. But just remember that as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can walk on top of the What's the world's option? Sink or swim. Sink or swim. You can jump out in the ocean and sink or swim. But if you're, you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can walk on top of that water in the midst of the storm. And notice, he calmed them before he calmed the storm, which teaches us another great lesson that peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is not a calm the calm waters out there. Peace can occur in the midst of the storm. Peace can occur in the hospital, at the bedside, at the when you're taking the chemo. Peace can occur on the side of the road after the wreck. Peace can occur in the mortuary, at the funeral home. We can have peace because peace is not the absence of problems. It is the presence of Jesus. In the night visions, so to speak, when I was a kid, and I'd have, I used to have recurring nightmares. Man, I used to, it was, if I told you what they were, you'd think I was crazy, and I probably am. <laughs> but I used to have these nightmares, and I'd cry out as I would wake up, and Daddy would come down to my room, and he would sit beside my bed till I went back to sleep. The nightmares, he didn't get rid of the nightmares. He didn't get rid of my, you know, I was still afraid of those things I'd seen in my nightmare. But the presence of my daddy sitting beside my bed calmed me down and brought peace that I needed. Beloved, it's the same way with Jesus, only greater. So, as we bring this to a close, remember what we've read. What can you expect in the midst of the overwhelming storms of life? You can expect fear and frustration and trouble and stress if you focus upon the storms. If you like Peter and you get out and you have your eyes on Jesus, but you take your eyes off of Jesus, you'll start sinking again in the waves. That's been my experience. See, when I've got my my eyes upon Christ, my eyes upon the overwhelming Savior, then the storms of life don't really matter to me too much. But when I begin to look around at the circumstances, uh-oh, this is happening, uh-oh, that's happening. Oh, this isn't going to work out. That's coming behind to cause me trouble. Then I'm in fear and I begin to be overwhelmed or crushed down by these problems. But as a child of God, what can you expect in the overwhelming storms of life if you keep your vision upon Christ? You can expect the overwhelming Savior to overwhelm the storm in one way or another. Now that may mean he calms the storm. He eventually calmed the storm. 
But more than that, you can expect the overwhelming Savior to overwhelm you, child of God. I have been overwhelmed more than once, many times, by the overwhelming power of God. The storm was still raging. The troubles were still there. But that overwhelming Savior that loved me with an everlasting love was also there. And I was overwhelmed in the midst of the storm by the presence of Jesus. Look at the, the last point I want to make. I want you to look at verse 51 as we bring this to a close. After he says, after he comes walking to them in the midst of the storm, he says, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. It says, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. Remember what we said, that very thing they were afraid of, he used it to walk to their little vessel. But then he didn't give them a 12-step plan to get out of the storm or a five-step uh, process to get things worked out on their own. He just went up unto them into the ship. And in this case, he did calm the storm. But beloved, I believe they were already calm before the storm was. Sometimes he calms the storm in our lives. Sometimes healing occurs. But sometimes he just climbs up unto us into the ship wraps us up in his peace that passeth understanding and his everlasting love and says, come on, my child, I'm going to ride it out with you. I'm going to ride it out with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm right here with you. The storm's going to rage all around you. But when the overwhelming Savior, the great I am, brings peace, it is a peace that passeth all understanding, unlike any peace you'll ever know. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.